yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And a look how we can lead longer and healthier lives by making some very simple changes. I'm joined by Professor Rose Ann Kenny, who has 35 years experience at the forefront of ageing medicine. And she's the founding principal investigator of Ireland's largest adult population study on the experience of ageing in Ireland, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Ageing. In her new book, Age Proof, The New Science of Living a Longer and Healthier Life, she tells us that 80% of our ageing biology is within our control. We can not only live longer lives, but become happier and healthier deep into our later years. That's a very big sales pitch, but Roseanne, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the book, before we go anywhere, the book has sold really well, not only in Ireland, but I know before we came on, you're telling us that it's gone global now as well, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They've, they've, uh, the publishers have acquired it in uh, India, in China, in uh, South America, uh, Brazil, Me- Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, and a number of European countries. So South Africa, yeah, it's so it's remarkable, really. There's a hunger, obviously, for, for people to have a better knowledge of biologically how they can govern their own um, health and happiness and wellness, you know, but, but deeper than just do this, 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 is do this, 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 because this and this enable this. I think that's the, the kind of background that has excited people. And of course, over the course of the last two years with the lockdowns and all the stress that we face, people have focused very much on their own health and their own wellness and well-being. And they've also probably realized their mortality a little bit, that we are getting older. And as we get older, we want to get older, healthier, uh, which is what we're seeing the appetite for the book. We're going to get stuck straight into it. So diet is hugely important, presumably, as part of aging. What do we know from the study in terms of what kind of diets we should follow for optimum health? Well, there have been a number of studies on diet over a long period of time. And the bottom line is, because there are so many different messages, I try to simplify it. The bottom line is essentially a Mediterranean diet time and time again comes out top of the list. Coupled with low sugar, low salt and low or no processed foods. If you can kind of adhere to that, then yeah. That, that is associated with a definitely a healthier lifespan. And actually what's interesting, a, a recent study from the University of Bergen has shown that the earlier the better with respect to diet, but it's never too late. They, they developed a lovely design where they looked at Western diet, where we to all eat our Western diet, where we to eat the optimum diet I've just described, and then a middle of the road, what they called a feasibility diet. And they, they modeled introduction of those diets in 20-year-olds and modeled that that would mean an extension of 10 healthy years to lifespan, which is huge. Then they looked at an introduction at the age of 60 in the optimum diet and showed 6.4 
healthy extra years. And then at age 80, so you'd be at, according to their modeling, yeah, a Western diet for 80 years, and then at age 80, you introduce the optimum diet, you still add another 3.4 years. So very optimistic data. Earlier you start, the better, but nonetheless, it's never too late. Okay, so no matter what age you are listening in, if you can make those simple switches, those simple changes, you're going to add extra years to your life. And we've heard that time and time again, the Mediterranean diet is really important. And it's not for people who live in Spain or Italy or in the Med. It can, it's applicable globally in terms of eating less processed food, cooking more, uh, and more plant-based foods and fish as opposed to the meat-based diets we tend to eat here. The key is, is plant-based. That, that seems to be the key in the Mediterranean diet. Now, what's interesting, and I've said this in the book, is we really don't know exactly yet what to advise with respect to red meat, because there's the, 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 the evidence on, on either side, good or bad, is fairly balanced, actually, at the moment. So I think we need much more rigorous, robust, rand, randomized controlled trials to be, uh, to be really clear about red meat. And, and in fairness, we've evolved as carnivores, so it's hard to understand why red meat would play a very negative role in the aging process, except to say most of the um, populations which age well and long have long lifespans are eat plant-based diets. So that's really where the majority of this data, although not exclusively, has come from. Okay. The next one I want to talk about is, is intermittent fasting. Very trendy, very topical. Uh, is it healthy? That's the key question. Yes. No, uh, the, the animal work is the most rigorous in this context. So the some of the earlier study on rhesus monkeys, which took two groups of monkeys, both all born at the same time. The, the first group at their normal diet up to age 20. The second group were fasted to 40% of normal caloric intake. The second group, actually, if you saw the photographs, they look like offspring of the first group. <laughs> Everything about them is so much more youthful. They've more hair, they've a more a vigorous stance. Their head is up, their tail is up. Um, their eyes aren't sunken. Their nose hasn't expanded. It's quite remarkable. When they looked at the organs of those monkeys, and remember both, mon both groups of monkeys are the same chronological age, you know, the same number. They showed that in all of the organs the aging process had decelerated, was much slower in the calorie-restricted monkeys. And that includes the or cardiovascular organs, the heart, the kidneys, the blood vessels, etc. Cardiovascular disease is still the main killer as we get older. Okay, and you mentioned calorie restriction there. So in terms of the studies, we know, is there a number or is in terms of the, the quantity of calorie restric restriction that people should be potentially looking for if they are intermittent fasting? Again, there's a whole lot of, of um, recommendations out there, but the simplest is to remember, restrict calorie intake to an eight-hour window in the day. And again, lovely animal studies as well as human studies to show that if you can do this, you reduce obesity. And obesity is what we're really trying to target because the white fat cells are toxic to our systems. They're toxic to the inflammatory processes which underpin aging. So reduce, keep it to the eight hour window. And that equates to a 16 hour fast, if you think about it. Yeah. So 
if you if you stick to the eight hour window, now you, you, you can pick the window that suits you best. Some people cannot fast in the morning. They have to have a big breakfast, etc. That's okay, as long as you manage to adhere within the eight hours. Personally, I, I fast until one o'clock in the in the afternoon, 1 p.m. And then I, I, I use that as my eight hour window thereafter. Okay, and chat to me around, uh, you mentioned their obesity. Obesity and aging, presumably uh, unhealthy aging and reducing your, your healthy years as you get older are linked to being obese and being overweight or having overweight and having obesity are important to say in terms of the terminology has changed around the words that you use with it, but uh, they do impact your aging. Yeah, so there's, there's a kind of a, a couple of conflating issues with respect to obesity. The first thing is, um, after the, so in women, after the menopause, we're much more likely to put weight on. Okay, the hormonal changes are conducive to putting weight on. Um, so, so that one needs to be aware of that. You know, a little bit of more effort has to be made at that time. Yes, obesity or overweight, those white fat cells are toxic to our systems. They trigger inflammation. And more and more inflammation, background inflammation appears to be the common ground that is associated with a faster pace of aging for cells. Uh, there are lots of different theories to why we age. There's none of them at, the, at this moment in time are the one that you can say, that's absolutely it. But more and more, they're, they're converging on inflammation. So whatever, whatever is happening peripherally, it seems to trigger the process through inf inflammation. Now, inflammation, of course, is really good in the context of infection or other insults to the body. We need it. We've evolved to require it. But once it's done its bit for an infection or an insult, uh, inflammation should regress right back to a baseline level. If it doesn't, if it remains above the baseline level, that's what we call chronic inflammatory status. That's not healthy for cells. And along those lines, then, in terms of as we age, presumably holding onto your muscle mass is important and reducing your body fat or your, your, your fat mass tissue to help to reduce inflammation as well. That's a, that's a great, great question. Again, this is something that's not very well realized. So muscle mass declines over the age of 40, actually, it starts to decline and the number of our muscle fibers starts to decline. So doing resistance exercises and focusing on strengthening exercises is very important. It's also important to prevent falls because through that we get balance and strength and, and, and it helps that. Um, it also... Uh, reduces inflammatory processes and, and of course reduces obesity because it alters basal metabolic rate. So they're the, the advantages of exercise uh, at, at all ages, uh, but particularly with, with advancing age. Now there's a condition called sarcopenia, which is, has special muscle characteristics and it's associated with becoming frailer. And it really manifests with weak muscles. Resistance exercise programs, and again, the earlier the better, really helps to mitigate against sarcopenia and reduce the risk of generalized frailty and fatigue and weakness. So being strong is a key indicator of healthy aging and adding those healthy years to your life. But again, it's the, as uh, uh, the producer on our TV show always calls it, the bendy stuff. <laughs> it's the bendy stuff that people don't do. They don't do the resistance, whether it's weight bearing. And it can even be simple stuff in terms of 
standing more over the course of the day, carrying the messages home, uh, just lifting stuff over the course of the day and standing more over the course of the day. That that kind of classic thing in your head is you think of older people that they sit all day long. The more you sit, the weaker you're going to become and the, the quicker you're going to age. So, so there's a, you've, you've raised a couple of important um, issues there. First of all, sitting for long periods of time, as we're doing in fairness, Carl, with all of the Zooms, et cetera, during COVID, it's been, that's been really bad for that. It is not good for us. You know, it's really not good for brain blood flow. So if you want to keep flow to the brain, every 40, 45 minutes, we should stand, even just standing. Now, um, if, if you can walk, that's great. If you minimize but the period of time you're sitting for, very important. Some people, some of us, sit in front of a television and three hours later and we're still sitting. That really is, I'm using the word toxic because at the end of the day, all of those um, factors are toxic to cells. So really important to keep up and about. Do you know then that with respect to aerobic exercise, because as well as resistance and muscle strengthening exercise, we should do aerobic. In a study of over 40-year-olds in England, this is a remarkable statistic. Adults over 40 spend more time on the toilet in a week than they did doing aerobic exercise. No. By aerobic exercise, yes. By aerobic <laughs> exercise, I mean fast walking. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, the, well, the key word there is fast, presumably, right? So again, I think older people or people as they age think of aerobic exercise as strolling potentially or you know up and down the pool where it's slow it's low intensity fast and moderate are the two key words for healthy conditioning you should walk so that you're breathless talking if you're speaking with someone do do try and walk with someone you know it is it is good from a company perspective but uh, i recommend again as a simple rule of thumb do a little bit more every year not less every year as we get older, a little bit more every year. You know, if you think of our adult lifespan, on average, this of course is not everybody, we've children, we've jobs, we're working, we're busy, we're not doing an awful lot, and then we retire. And what I'm saying is that within that lifespan, try and do a bit more every year. You won't during those middle adult years because they are really chock-a-block. But in, in later middle adult and later years there's no reason why we can't do that and this thing of actually i'm getting older i'm doing i'm to do less it's the opposite folks you're listening to real health with me carl henry in association with lay healthcare this is absolutely fascinating this is like two two uh people are very passionate about what they do just having a chat it's deadly it's great uh so okay let's chat alcohol then again a uh, very, uh, I was going to say, important part of the, of the diet. Very common part of the, the diet is probably more a better word for it. Uh, in moderation, though, there are studies, obviously, to say that you know some alcohol is perfectly fine. It's not you know if you want to age healthier, don't necessarily give up alcohol, but it's in moderation, I would imagine. No, yes. So in moderation, absolutely. And and you know it, we have to be terribly careful, people like me, in dictating you should do this, this and this. If it's not feasible, people aren't going to apply it. So it has to be pragmatic. So alcohol in moderation. But I would add to that. Don't drink alone. If you're having a drink, do it with someone. This The, the powerful effect of social engagement and laughter and sharing with someone is as, is as strong to, for the cardiovascular system and for mortality as physical exercise and smoking. Now, I'm not saying to not do physical exercise and smoke the bit out, but that just shows you how strong it is in the context of inflammation and 
aging uh, pace. So I'm, of course, nobody's saying no alcohol, cut alcohol out. But I think if you do it with people, then you will further complement the things we know help with a healthy aging, but also alcohol on your own probably gets a little bit excessive and probably isn't healthy, I I would say. The other thing I'd like to add with respect to alcohol is this um, fable with respect to the uh, nightcap. Alcohol disrupts sleep. Now, some people, their sleep isn't as disrupted as much as others, but it does interfere with the balance between REM sleep and non-REM sleep. That's rapid eye eye movement and non-rapid eye movement. And it's terribly important that we keep that balance throughout the night because it's during the non-rapid eye movement sleep period that we actually improve our brain function and deposit into deeper memory the experiences we've had during the day and get rid of toxins from our brain cells. Even in young people, they've shown that some of the proteins that are associated with Alzheimer's disease are associated with disrupted sleep. So it's important that if if we can do things not to disrupt sleep, that we apply that. So the nightcap is out, I'm afraid. That's perfectly fine. That's all right. But you brought us naturally into that sleep conversation. Again, aging healthily, prioritizing your sleep and using that as the foundation of everything else is really, really important. It's probably something that we don't do. It's beginning to come into into, into public awareness now, I think. We are getting there slowly but surely, but it is one of the key cornerstones of healthy aging. Oh, yeah, uh, it is. You're absolutely right in your observation that we haven't paid enough of attention to sleep. Sleep is very closely aligned to our circadian rhythms. And they're the rhythms that actually, they're the clocks in our cells. They govern everything a cell does. It's fantastic from a biological perspective to think that there's a central cell in the, in the suprachiasmic nucleus in the brain, which governs the rhythm of every single cell in our body. That's a beautiful every- word. You can just repeat that word for me again. It's absolutely gorgeous. I've, I've never heard it before. So give, give it to me again. Superchiasmic nucleus. Yes, it's lovely. It's, it's, it's there. But it's, so, and what that what that responds to is light. So it it is controlled by light, and it controls our circadian rhythms. And our circadian rhythms are controlled by our food intake. Also, so so it's a it's a whole cycle, a physiological cycle, which is really important. So sleep is aligned closely with food intake and obesity and with general well-being. And of course, it makes sense that it's triggered and managed and monitored by exposure to light and exposure to darkness, because that's what's natural. Michal Amarahertik, when I was speaking to him once about about this, uh, talking to him, he said he gets up in the morning and the first thing he does is he goes out in the garden and he tests the air. I thought it was lovely. So he, in other words, he exposed himself first thing when he was awake to, to natural daylight. And natural daylight is really important for our circadian rhythm. 
I came out and I stand in the grass with my bare feet. That's how sad I am <laughs> when no, I wake up in the morning. But it's brilliant. This it's, is what uh, I'm uh, saying. Earthing in some respects. It's 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 you know it's it just it levels me before I come into my office at, uh, at the back of the house. Now I could we could stay talking for hours and hours. And hours. We're not. Don't worry. I've got to ask you two more questions, and I know, I know you're you're rushing off to another interview. Talking about stress and the importance of stress and 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 de-stressing in terms of aging and healthy aging. Well, generally, de-stressing is 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 really important, and they they. The populations, the blue zones, where people have been studied for a long time and have a very high pro proportion of their population living to 100 and beyond, but living well, without diseases, without heart disease and dementia, they all, all five zones, have regular rituals, de-stressing rituals. Now, they're different, so I'll share, I'll tell you what they are, and you can pick and choose. The, the Icarians in Greece take a nap, an afternoon nap regularly every day the sardinians this may be your preferred choice meet with friends in the afternoon over a couple of glasses of wine <clears throat> the costa ricans likewise loma lindas are adventists and they pray together in the in the afternoons and then the okinawans in and off the island of japan they actually have tea ceremonies and remember their ancestors but what have, what have i said there apart from the, the naps, I assume, people are doing this with others. Whatever their ritual, they're de-stressing and sharing with others, or they're meditating, which is what the prayer in a, in a community group is, is like. So having a de-stressing ritual is terribly important. And unfortunately, we don't really do that regularly as a society. I remember we were in Abu Dhabi a couple of years ago before COVID and we went to the mosque and like that you go and everyone at the time that we went at, everyone comes together. They all come together and it's a huge, huge gathering right in the center of Abu Dhabi and a beautiful place. But the whole, everyone just comes together and kind of prays together. And, but it's that togetherness which was really, really powerful. Final question before you have to go. Positive mindset, the optimist versus the pessimist and aging, how are they linked? You are as young as you feel. That's the bottom <laughs> line. I've just come off a research call about this because we've done a lot of very good work on this in the Tilda study. How you perceive yourself to aging actually seems to influence your physical aging going forward and cognitive brain health. Now, we're not sure exactly how, but um, and we're looking at the, the pathways that might be associated with the how you perceive yourself and how your brain function actually might be influenced by your perceptions. What I'm saying is, independent of all other confounders, and we can adjust for a whole lot of things in the study because we've taken so many variables. If I see myself as 10 years, 15 years younger than my birthday cake number of candles, I am physically fitter and my brain function has declined less four and eight years after those baseline assessments were made than others who perceive themselves to be thereabouts on their chronological age, the number of candles. So feeling young has a biological sense to it and explanation. So you can think yourself into healthy aging. What a lovely way to finish the interview. I have to say before you go, that was in four years of podcasting, one of my favorite interviews that I have done. You have a passion, you have a way of talking and a way of communicating that empowers not only the listener, but also myself. And it doesn't always happen. And you're, you're an absolute breath of fresh air and a very important 
content to tell people around the world. And it's no doubt and no surprise that your book has gone so globally successful as it absolutely has. Again, remind us the name of the book so people can pick it up. So the book is Age Proof. I have it here. <laughs> and uh, it's in Easton's or the distributors. It's in all bookstores in, in Ireland. Professor Rose and Kenny, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I did say at the very start before we came on over the course of the interview, hopefully I will persuade you and talk you into setting up an Instagram account. So that is your, your homework after this interview is go and set that up and we'll tag you and get you loads of followers. I absolutely promise it. Folks, I think you will agree that was a fascinating episode of Real Health. We really hope that you enjoyed it. As ever, you know where we are, realhealthandindependent.ie at carlhenrypt on Instagram. And I will uh, share Roseanne's Instagram page when she sets it up. So come follow me and we'll, we'll send it over to hers. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Think yourself young. That is a very simple takeaway from a wonderful episode of Real Health. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Sláin Gafol. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.